We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pigs, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lundford skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it Setting the Pace, and I think that's terrific. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm Alex Golden, joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, the Washington Wizards stand for this year's playoffs. Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Absolutely not. Saw you tweeting about the Wizards, about how much you were enjoying their game the other day and their style of play. But, yeah, moving on. Um, hey, Alex, exciting stuff today. I mean, we had the Kevin Pritchard uh, press conference. He wasn't really revealing his hand, but always uh, exciting to, to learn more about the potential outlook moving forward. Yeah, so uh, I want to run through some things that I liked and didn't like from this presser. I know that I may have categorized mine differently than yours, so I don't want to cut you off here. But would you like to run through your uh, things that you liked, or would you like me to go through my list of things I liked and didn't like? I mean, there really wasn't, to be honest, there really wasn't that much that I liked. Uh, <laughs> I just felt that he he would get an A-plus as it relates to dodging concrete answers on any topic at all he stayed very neutral and I I felt like just kind of you know outside of his love for TJ Warren it felt like uh, a lot was kind of left to be unknown I mean we don't know I felt like we felt far more confident maybe 24 hours ago that Nate Bjorken wouldn't be back but now we're kind of in that 50-50 maybe 60-40 type five that that he will or won't be back but I don't feel convinced either way. Yeah, so if I was a captain and we were playing recess and dodgeball, I'd pick Kevin Pritchard first just based on how he answered these questions. I mean, Bob Kravitz asked a question to start it off, asking him if he would commit to to Bjorkman, and he probably spent five minutes not even answering the question that Bob asked and then went back and said, what would you ask again, Bob? I was dying laughing listening to it because every single year people listen to these things and they take it with so much, you know, they they take it so strongly what he's saying. But to me personally, I just don't feel that way. I feel like every time these guys get up here to speak, they're very, you know, politician-like. They praise the players. 
They try to, you know, keep things in-house if there's issues, especially the Bjorken one. I understand that he did address some things. So, um, but as far as things that I liked, I'll just run through them real quick, Fudge. It's not too much. I did like his praise of O'Shea Brissett. He said that he thinks they've really found something there. Uh, he said defense is by far the most important thing we have to look at, which I agree with. He admits he doesn't want to be stuck in the middle, wants to either go all in or build from the ground up. And then the last thing was he didn't deny all the reports on Bjorken, but admitted that there are things he needs to improve on. So to me, those were some things that I thought were very interesting. Do you, did you did you agree with any of those, Fotch? Yeah, I mean, obviously the O'Shea Brissett signing was fantastic. I mean, really something that you could, out of all the things that didn't go right, this year, that was the one surprise that really did go right, and you're you're thinking, wow, okay, that's going to be a great player to have under contract moving forward for very cheap. Uh, I do like that, you know, he had to touch on the Bjorken stuff, and he was he was honest to to an extent of saying that he he definitely was accused and probably guilty of being a micromanager. Uh, he mentioned that while the players and Bjorken saw eye to eye in the locker room, it, it was quite different on the court. Uh, so there's things like that, but also. You know, I would have liked to seen him address the center situation a bit more. The Turbonis pairing, I felt like he very much did, you know, his classic complimenting each of them. Then also mentioning about staggering their minutes. It really kind of left you at, like, everything we feared of him basically saying, well, we didn't get to see this team healthy. And it kind of it left you with the feeling of saying, oh, no, he's going to run it back, isn't he? And, and for that, we have a lot to determine until that happens. But I think us fans, were, we were looking for a little bit of a different vibe on this press conference. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. I was sure they were going to ask him questions about the Bjorken thing. And I felt like some of the things I didn't like was how Bjorken-centric it was. Because mm-hmm. it didn't really give us a good, clear understanding of what direction he wants his team to go. Like he talked about defense a little bit and said they'd like to sacrifice pace for some more defense and he said even though they might p- play the most beautiful basketball with how fast and quick they're playing it doesn't result in wins so he wants to get back to some of the defense like that's great and all he really highlighted tj warren basically said that if tj warren was healthy that this team probably would have made the playoffs and i agree with that to some degree but i mean the way he was doing it i had somebody message me on twitter and they basically said he's really throwing all of his um he said he's throwing all of uh, – let me read this exactly here because I don't want to say it the wrong way. But he he said – he put all of his eggs into that basket for T.J. Warren. And I said, well, that's the only basket he can put the eggs in, you know, without throwing the team under the bus. So that's where I was with it all. I wish there would have been more questions on the whole entire coaching staff and Goga and that whole thing with uh, Greg Foster. Just a lot of things. And I, I don't understand why he didn't come out and refute the reports. If he called, he called most of the reports about Bjorkren BS today in um, in his presser, but he did not come out and deny those or or refute those reports before the season was over. Like, if a lot of it was not true, like, why would you leave your coach out there to hang in the dry? So that's where I stood with all of it, Foch. I I feel like there's just got to be something here that they're not telling the full story, or he didn't tell the full story today. I don't feel like my stance on Bjorkren coming back or not has changed uh, after this press conference. I still feel like they're doing the right thing looking at it. I actually saw somebody quote tweet 
the Woj report that came out, basically Woj kind of tweeted that he didn't commit to Bjorkren and said they'd reevaluate him, that kind of thing. Somebody said, I think that they said that because if they can't find someone that will agree to coach this team uh, financial-wise, then they can just run it back with Bjorkren. And I think that's kind of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. They're putting feelers out there. <laughs> They've got a long list of candidates they interviewed last season, so they know a lot of these guys and what they bring to the table. So, honestly, I would be still completely stunned if they retained him for next season. No, I, I would be – I don't want to say stunned. I'd be shocked if they did. I lean after this press conference 60-40 that he's not back with the team. Uh, before the press conference, I'd say I was probably 75-25. Wow, um, so it's gone up that much? It, it, well, it's it's gone down, meaning I I, I do think that – I meant with him know, coming back, with him coming yeah, back. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I saw that tweet, I believe it was from Ryan McDonough, who was you yes, know, in yes. front offices with the Suns and Celtics. And it, it does make sense. I mean, if the Pacers are going to, you know, light that second guaranteed year of Bjorkman's contract on fire and just pay him the money, you know, they got to know that they have something good lined up and they're not just kind of get into a situation of, oh, what do we do now? So I do trust that they will do their due diligence. I mean, this next hire for Pritchard is as big as it gets. I mean, you, you truly, you don't get many head coach hirings in your career I know Nate McMillan was not his but you know it could be two head coaches in a essentially a a one-year calendar span I mean that's you got to get this one right so with this next coach I imagine he'll be given more of a leash and I'm excited to at least just see you know what coaching staff you can build out with the next coach if there is a new coach and if not I still think it's more important than ever before to have valuable assistant coaches that our head coach can turn to if he needs, because this year, Alex, I I don't want to say they were the worst, you know, coaching staff from, from top to bottom, but it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. I I think what the Pacers could do if they keep Bjorkman is try to go a similar route to what the Atlanta Hawks did this off season. Yeah. And getting a guy like Nate McMillan to be the assistant head coach, because look, I mean, I think Nate really did like Lloyd Pierce and wanted him to do well. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Nate really was coming for his job, but I think everybody saw the writing on the wall that it was more than likely if Pierce struggled once again this year, he'd be out, and then they would feel more comfortable making that move midseason knowing Nate McMillan was there on the staff having so much head coaching experience. So I'm not really sure what guy is out there that they could feel comfortable replacing him with, but I think that if I was an assistant, especially an assistant head coach, if I mean, this kind of sounds really shady, but you could almost be like looking over your shoulder, like, Hey, if this doesn't work out with Bjorker and you know, I could take over, but I would, I I would be very careful with how I approach it. I would do the McMillan route and coach for him. Like I would coach for any head coach. And then if it happens to be that way and fall into place where I become the head coach, then I take it, but not like trying to create a toxic environment where I'm trying to get players to, throw Bjorken under the bus to make me head coach. Cause I know that that can happen, <laughs> but that's what I'm thinking in my head long-term. Like what, what assistant could be out there that could make sense as a head coach replacement. I don't really know of any, I don't know if there's any that really want to take on an assistant coaching role to work with Bjorken. So that's why I don't think that that idea completely works, but it does seem a little bit more enticing than just running it back with the same coaching staff and name Bjorken as the head coach. Oh, of course. I mean, now it's like given the situation now, you start to think about, I mean, how, you know, Mike Woodson was an assistant coach on the, on the Knicks bench this past yep. year. And, and, and I think that, you know, 
you got to give some credit to the coaches that they have over there. I mean, Tibbs is, is, is a very good coach, but it's got to help to have that experienced coaches on your bench as well. And it kind of stinks that now that a guy like Mike Woodson isn't out there to at least be that, you know, assistant head coach, you know, something like that. One of those roles. Oh, I just really wish we would have had someone proven that's been an NBA head coach as one of our assistants this past season. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. It was kind of like we, I mean, I guess the uh, Caleb Canales hire was somebody that once was a head coach for a short term with the Portland Trailblazers. He replaced Nate McMillan whenever he was fired from Portland back in the late 2000s. But yeah, Flash, I mean, we, I'm talking, this is where Brian Shaw, a guy like him, would have come exactly. into play. Oh, I, you know, God. he's a name that I keep thinking about. I know he's coaching the G League Ignite team, and I know that he did not have a good run in Denver as the head coach there. But once again, that's a prime example of a of a guy becoming a head coach for the first time and are not working out, and they kind of have to take their lumps and get back on their feet. And that could be the same case for Bjorkren if he's let go by the Pacers. But you know my guy still is Chauncey Billups. I'm not backing I'm not backing down from that whatsoever. But I do want to transition here in this first segment and do our Pacers offseason wish list Afachi. So I'll let you kick things off. What is one of the one one of the what is one of the things on your Pacers offseason wish list? I'm gonna step right in uh, with uh, number one on my wish list, a new head coach. Okay. Is, <laughs> so fresh off talking about, you know, if Bjorken keeps his job or not, that's number one on my wish list because a new head coach, I mean, it, it unfortunately it takes things not going well to realize just how valuable a well-respected, uh, you know, head coach is. Someone who knows what they're doing. Someone who's been there. I mean, we've talked about all the time. Like the, the older you get in life, the, the more you appreciate the Eric Spolstra's of the league. I mean, I remember being guilty. I would say a decade ago of basically saying. Ah, oh, Eric Spolster, I don't think he's that good of a coach. Look at the talent around him. No, that man is a real good coach. Um, and I, I feel like whatever roster Miami gives him, he could be effective. So I just feel like, man, I, I really – we've talked about it, how we missed the days of Frank Vogel. And it, it's, no, uh, it's no coincidence that a bunch of the Pacers' former head coaches are current coaches in the playoffs right now. So yeah. number one on my list uh, is a new head coach. Uh, do you want to go you know, one for one? <laughs> Yeah, we'll do that. I'll I'll just go ahead and say that was on my list as well. Number three, I said a new head coach with a new coaching staff. Like I said, we'll get more clarity, I think, within the next week if Bjorkren is brought back or not, and we can have a podcast discussion on that. If he is let go, we can look at candidates, aside from some of our favorites, our lead favorites there. But I got to ask you real quick, since we're talking about this, is there a guy that you would like as the next head coach if they were to move on from Nate Bjorkren? Very curious. Last year, I felt like there was a lot more job openings. This year, very there's curious. none. There, there really isn't. That's the thing. There isn't um, one right now. I think I Atlanta's the only one, and well, that's you, he's you an interim. Exactly. He's going to get it. <laughs> he's going to get it. And, and Minnesota already solved their head coaching situation. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you look at this, and it's like, wow, you know what? This could be a decent opportunity for the Pacers to get some, you know. Some guys that are looking to be head coaches while there's not that many job opportunities compared to last year. So, you know, not to really dodge it. I mean, I remember I liked Dan Craig last year in Miami, but but this year I'm not as sold on him. I'm kind of off the, the Mike D'Antoni, you know, situation. And and I just I just want the bit so it's just like just I'm leaving to the front office. Please just I know you do you did your due diligence last year. You interviewed 15 different people. 
just make the right hire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm not I'm not as in love with someone like you are, Chauncey Billups, because there is still that find someone. Now. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I will try and find someone. Like, but you know, like like Chauncey, while he has his ups. There is still that inexperience as a head coach. So if, if it didn't work out, you know, this franchise could then easily be rebuilding. So it, yeah. it's tough. You need to nail this hire. Yeah. And I, you know, another name that was mentioned last year was uh, I think it was Chris Quinn, the assistant coach in Miami. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And I was like, man, you know, he's still with the, he, he's got that heat culture around Butler's there. You know, I was like, I wonder if we can look at Chris, uh, Chris Quinn again. And then they're doing a little report on him during the game. And they're like, yeah, Duncan Robinson had a really interesting relationship with him because of how hard he is on him, and that's really helped Robinson respect him. I said, well, with the way the players are this year, I can't imagine them having a coach be tough on him. So can't go that route. I was like, cross him <laughs> off the list. But anyway, my number one is I set a new starting five, and that does leave a lot of open-ended uh, question or answers there. But yeah, really I, I just I basically just said I do not want to see this team run it back with the same starting five as projected once they made the Oladipo trade. So, yes, I am saying, even though I've never seen the starting five of Brogdon, Levert, T.J. Warren, Sabonis, and Turner, I do not want to see that (laughs) next season. I will have a hard time watching next year if we retain the same roster with the same coach. And I just have this feeling, what if we started like 0-3, and and it's like, this is what we've waited for? Like, you know, this is it? Oh, my God. You know, it would just be like – it just feels like the second that that record sank below 500, it would be like, all right, well, this is what we waited for. I'm, I'm tired of doing this. Let's make changes. So I think you want to make those changes in the offseason. But I agree with you. Need change. Pritchard said in the press conference, once again, he's not going to just make a trade just to make a trade. But, uh. you know, the classic. But, um, you know, <laughs> my, my number two kind of goes with number one. But And I mentioned earlier, experience assistance. This year yeah. it really made me – think that, wow, you know, we didn't even have a single assistant coach that could have been a candidate to interview to take over the head coaching job this year. There was no one even remotely close. And when I thought of experienced assistants that had been head coach, at this point, I'm willing to take just about anybody other than Jim O'Brien, just because, you know, we've been there, done that. So anyone else, hey, you're welcome over here. So that's my number two. Jim Boylan, he's in Indianapolis. I honestly up. thought about saying and Jim Boylan, but it was like, uh, you know what? Like, maybe I'll just remove Jim O'Brien from the list. But yeah. Jim Jim Boylan, I don't think would be a good fit here. You know, it's just, <laughs> tough yeah. on players. Exactly. Kent Sterling might be having his number trying to get him on, but <laughs> we know uh, we know that's not going to happen more than likely. So my number two, Fachi, which I think it's just because I've got this name on the brain after watching the press conference, but a healthy T.J. Warren. Of course. Yeah, it's it seems very like, you know, like, oh, that's so boring. But really, I do I do agree somewhat with Pritchard and talking about how much Warren was missed on both sides of the basketball. Like, we like to talk about the points and stuff like that. But defensively, we just didn't have a lot of stellar wing play this year. Like, as good of a season as McDermott had and as well as Justin Holiday played in moments, like Pritchard said it, we probably played them way too many minutes. And that's just because of necessity, because of the trades. And because of the injury. So honestly, I love T.J. Warren. I'm not sure if he can ever be like a 1A player. Like, you know what I mean? I think Levert overall probably has a little bit more offensive talent than him. But I still think they're really neck and neck for who the best offensive player is. Defensively, I think Warren's a little bit better. And I think Mm -hmm. he showcased that last year 
but that was under a completely different scheme. So maybe if we get a more defensive-minded coach or a more defensive-minded scheme for this team next season, then we can see how Levert really locks into that type of style of play. But overall, I just – I like both those guys a lot. I think that can be a, a really part of a three-headed monster between Warren, Levert, and Sabonis on the offensive side of things. And then whatever you get from the rest of the starters I think is a plus, clearly. But I, I think that it starts with those three and what they're able to do. But a healthy T.J. Warren for me is number two on my list, Fudge. Yeah, I mean, obviously that is uh, something extremely vital for this team. And, you know, that that's kind of uh, the, the excuse that it felt like, you know, we used all year. Well, when T.J. Warren comes back or if we had Warren, this, this, and that. So <laughs> it's going to be great to have him back next year. But my next number three on my list, end the Turbonus pairing. Alex, it's rough to say. You know, we, we've, we've talked about it a bunch, but I'm done with it. I am. It's not going to work. I mean, what are we waiting to see? Like, what? How can they take a next step together? It, it just felt like both guys kind of, you know, I don't know if I would say that, you know, Sabonis took a step forward this year. I think he drew a lot of the defensive schemes. And, you know, from a playmaking standpoint, I think he got better. I think at times, you know, he needed to take less shots when you had Brogdon, you know, playing really well, Karis LeVert in there. But, and I thought that Miles Turner took a step forward this year for sure. But, I don't think they could really take a, a step forward together. And if they if they do, it, it's a baby step. So I think at this point, being different, eh, it's different for a reason. It, it's just not going to work. It's not going to get this team to that upper echelon, that top three seed. I think this could get us back into that 4-5 matchup at best. And you know what? It's been an experiment. And, we, and I think at this point, you know, those two, for the most part, you know, kind of have remained healthy. It's not like someone's missed a full season. Turner this year missed a third of the season. You know, Sabonis last year missed the playoffs. But I believe we've seen enough out of those two that that's not the recipe for getting in that upper echelon of the NBA. Yeah, so you cracked me up because I didn't come out and just say which one I want traded. I just said I want to see the new starter, a new starting five. So yeah. I appreciate your boldness there. And oh, yeah. That's what it is. I've zoned in right there. Yeah, <laughs> but it is what it is, man. I just I, I love how you said it cannot work. There's no there's no way it can work. And I just started thinking like there's going to be some sad fans whenever they do make this move because so many are fans of them. And this might be a little bit hard to understand, but I think when you were talking about the improvement of each player, I think every single player, for the most part, aside from Lamb and Holiday improved individually this season yeah. mm -hmm. but i think the team as a whole regressed exactly so that's a kind of a weird it's almost contradictory to say that but it it really is what happened like i feel like every single player like i i thought that they improved i mean justin holiday maybe he was kind of similar to last year but goga got better i think we saw a much improved miles turner sabonis got better on the offensive end with what he was asked to do with a much bigger role Brogdon at the beginning of the season definitely looked much better than last year. So, I mean, really, it's weird to say it because it's not like it was an overall fail of a season, but there was definitely some internal growth and some individual growth. But as a team and a collective unit, you're right. The pieces just do not fit. So that's that's where we're at. We're just, a, you know, a couple, you know, a couple uh, screws loose there with uh, what we're trying to put together. But Moving on real quick, number four for me, Fachi, because I've already mentioned some of mine uh, collaborated with yours. The Pacers, I want them to hit on their draft pick this year. Of course. 
It's it's pretty yeah. basic, but they're not in the lottery very often. So now that they're in the lottery with the 13th best odds, assuming they don't move up because their odds are so slim, they have got to hit on pick number 13 when it's there for them. And, and whether it's a, a role player that's there for a long time or it's a potential starter, they've got to do their best to to just make this talent work. And I'm willing to let that player grow uh, for the next couple of seasons because they hardly ever get in the lottery where there's a chance to get a starter for the long-term future. I, I had the same exact thing. I, I had either acquire another first-round pick or just draft a wing regardless. Just I mean, obviously, you want to go with the best possible player, but need a wing. And I, I would love if the Pacers – I've wanted for so long for them to acquire another first-round pick. And I know that a couple of years ago when we had the 32nd overall pick, you know, my, my dreams – were to package that pick and move up and take Kevin Porter Jr. And, and it didn't happen. And whatever, I got to move on eventually. But <laughs> I, I just think that ah, man, I wanted him bad. But I just think at this point, I want to be able to sink my teeth into a young player that that we can see develop on a nightly basis. Not the guy that's drafted in the mid fifties. No offense, Cassius Stanley, but like I just felt like I want to see a, a, the next talented guy. And I picked thirteen. I mean, sure. Look, I would love to be picking better, but pick 13 is a good pick. Yeah. We're, we're, we're talked about it with Kevin Bowen. I mean, that 13th, 14th, 12th, like right around there, there's been some really good players taken. I know he ends up naming a few, but also left out Devin Booker at 13, Bam Adebayo at 14. Those are those are some, you know, those are some all NBA level talented guys. So mm-hmm. I, I just think that that's the pick that you need to nail and. I think we're going to be looking back a year or two from now. If the Pacers don't nail that pick, that's when we're going to say this team can't draft at all. Yeah. So Kevin Bowen will be joining us in the second segment. We did pre-record that prior to this. So if you're like, wait a second, Kevin Bowen was on the show. Well, he's coming up. Don't worry. But yeah, no, I agree with you there. Foch. It's a good pick and we got to, we got to hit on that. So, the, the last one really for me, this is a kind of a two-way thing. I said upgrades made to the bench slash a locker room leader. So that's where I'm at. I just need a leader for this locker room. I don't feel like Brogdon is that guy as much as everybody wants to say, oh, he's our leader. You know, like I heard Sabonis say that. It's like, good grief. You know, <laughs> Kevin Pritchard hardly even talked about him. So yeah. I just – I I think that if your leader is hardly out on the floor – you got to find a better leader. It's not like you got a Udonis Haslam that's been with the pace for 40 years and someone that's well-respected. I, I think you got to find somebody. I know they missed Thad Young. And if there's a way to get Thad back, that'd be great. But I, I definitely think they missed that presence on the, uh, on the floor. With, without a doubt. In I mean, the locker room. Sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. I mean, we've, you know, we've been very vocal that this team needs a true veteran, not just someone who's 30 years old, an actual proven veteran that can keep the team together when things get rough. This year, I, I, I don't know who really did that. I'm sure a bunch of guys probably tried, but there's a difference between commanding respect and, uh, you know, just, just hoping people listen. Yeah. So I think that's going to be big. And, and my, my last point, my last uh, thing on my wish list, something you mentioned earlier, but just getting back to the defensive-minded approach. Look, it doesn't always have to be – our identity for forever to be that gritty defensive team. But in one year, we just completely abandoned being a defensive team and went in the complete opposite direction. And 
it was embarrassing at times. I mean, the amount of times the Pacers gave up over 130, it's way more than I can count. And I I don't remember that being any other year. I mean, the fact that Washington, you know, basically almost scored 150 points on us twice out of of four games, that can't happen. (laughs) I mean, it's like, yeah. You set yeah. a record on offense, and then the next night you, you'd almost give up a record on defense. That can't be the case. Yeah, I agree with you. And you you said something there, so I want to add this to my offseason wish list. I'm going to do a late ad here. I'm sorry as I'm wrapping this uh, part of the, the segment up, but I want to find an identity with this team. I want yeah. this team to find their identity because I felt like all season long we had no identity. None. And we had one the previous seasons, and that's what led us to – you know, fourth round or a fourth place overall, a fifth place overall, a first round exit in the playoffs, sure, but we were competitive at least all season long. And even in the games we lost against Miami and Boston, like, yeah, they were better than us, but we still were semi-competitive. I just feel like now, I mean, you can't even beat the Wizards who are a 34 and 38 team just like us. So sure, they've got better, you know, scores than us, but man, I mean, I get we were injured as well, but you just, like you said, you cannot give up 100 and 40 points and a meaningful what Kevin Pritchard labeled as a postseason playoff game. So that's just ridiculous. But we could talk about this for a while. We got a lot of things to hit on, and we want to get Kevin Bowen on here to chat with you guys about his thoughts on today's presser with Kevin Pritchard and his thoughts on the offseason and where they head. So we'll have KB join us right after this. Now joining us on Setting the Pace, he's a longtime friend of the show, Kevin Bowen. KB, how's it going, man? It's going well, guys. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I guess a public shout-out for the apparel. Uh, I, I've certainly worn it a couple times, so thank you guys for that, and happy to Good be to back hear. on. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And uh, thank you so much for representing us. I just got to ask you, you were there today, I guess, via Zoom for this Kevin Pritchard presser at the end of the season. Got to hear some of his thoughts. You know, what was what was your overall take? I guess some things you liked, maybe some things you didn't like from KP in this. You know, it's so funny. Like when you walk away from these pressers, and you just kind of like decompress and sift through the notes. It's like, you know, how much of this is just straight, you know, candor, or how much of this is straight, you know, PR jargon for for lack of a better term. I guess um, I, I found it odd. You know, he began the presser with praising the local media. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> uh, anytime, anytime you you begin praising the local media, it's usually a sign you haven't had a very good season. So, um, I I guess a couple things stood out to me. And again, I, I don't know how much is this sifting through the BS or, or or what, but I would say he made a great plea to um, keep the same starting five. Um, he sounded very open to bringing Nate Bjorkren back, a little bit more open. And I I get it. I, I think Kevin Pritchard is really brilliant in a lot of these media settings. I think he's got a bit of a politician side to him and handles questions very well. Uh, but boy, he certainly, whatever his Nate Bjorkren script was, he stuck to it. And again, I, I, I thought it sounded like a guy that was willing to bring him back and, and really detailed very specifically, like what went right, what went wrong, what he wants to hear in the exit meeting with Nate Bjorkren, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate the honesty and all of that. Uh, but again, you know, how much of that is truth, how much of it is, Hey, the coach decision is clearly on the fence. Anybody that wants to take this job or wants to become the head coach, of the Pacers, you can call me <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of see what a candidate list looks like. So, you know, that stood out to me. I mean, he is super high on TJ Warren. I mean, it's uh, very high. 
on Warren and just what that loss meant on both ends of the floor to the Pacers. Um, so, yeah, those were some of the stuff, you know, he seems like, you know, maybe tone down the pace a little bit, ramp up the defense. You know, I, I think that certainly makes sense to a lot of people. But anything else, I guess, on your guys' end that I'm missing that, that you thought stood out to you? I would say all valid takeaways, uh, you know, from the press conference. I think Pritchard did a great job, just like you mentioned. He basically stayed 100% neutral, what I felt like, on just about everything. So didn't really want to tip his hat. But when you mentioned TJ Warren, his name came up nonstop. Um, But one name that didn't come up as much, or at least in my opinion, Malcolm Brogdon. Was it just me or did Brogdon's name not come up as much as maybe you would have thought? You know, it was interesting that you say that. I had two questions left on my list, and it's all my fault for not getting them in. I was messaging Tony East and I were going back and forth, and I just totally spaced, and all of a sudden the press conference is over. I had a question about Brogdon being the future point guard, and then a different question just kind of about the state of the franchise. Um, you know, he, he mentioned Brogdon, but certainly not with the same, like, vigor that he mentions mm-hmm. Warren or Lavert. Um, certainly both of them um, – he mentions, I, you know, I think when he talked about, you know, Larry Bird saying you need three guys, I can go get you 25 on any given night. I think you want Brogdon um, into that trio with Laverde and Warren certainly being guys. But I think that's a very, you know, um, when I was filling in on Friday for JMV, I mean, the two things that I've repeatedly said moving forward that I think needs to happen, but it doesn't, I mean, I, again, this is my opinion. I don't think the Pacers are going to go down this road. I think you need a new point guard. Um, which I get it. It's difficult to find that. Uh, but I also think, you know, finding kind of that stretch four, which in, in my opinion, I think T.J. Warren can play a little four. Yeah. Um, that's how I kind of view things. Those are probably the two big items that I look at. Uh, but, yeah, there was definitely not a whole lot of Brogdon uh, mentioning with that. So, yeah, compared to, I guess, past like Kevin Pritchard pressers, that's probably the least we've heard, you know, Brogdon mention. Yeah, he did praise Malcolm Brogdon a lot in previous press conferences, you know, so you're right about that. And that's a good point, Flash. And I thought one thing, you know, I, I felt like, you know, most of you guys are asking about Bjorken and obviously so, but a couple of things I was wanting to hear him talk about, which we didn't. And this, these would have been my kind of questions is one, I believe Scott Agnes reported like that Kevin Pritchard in the front office moved down closer to the bench because of some reasons I would have liked to hear his thoughts on that or why there was a reasoning for them getting closer to the bench. And I also would have been interested in hearing, um, you know, why he didn't come to the bat of Nate Bjorkren during the end of the season when those reports came out, because he continued to call them BS clickbait. Um, If they were so much clickbait, why didn't he step forward as the president of basketball operations and kind of refute those reports? I think those were two of the big questions for me that I would have loved to have heard from him. Yeah, it, it was interesting. You know, when he went the full BS route, I think he would he'd walk to the end of the plank and then he'd take like two steps back. But, you yeah. know, he, he he would start off by saying, "Although oh, those reports are BS," you know, not all of that was true. You know, he he would <laughs> you know he he would acknowledge that there was some stuff that maybe was true, but certainly some stuff that he definitely did not agree with whatsoever. Um, you know, a couple other things, and again, this is my fault because I was I was on the Zoom, but you know, you kind of just you know, sifting through notes and I probably did too much taking notes and not enough asking of questions. Um, but, you know, trade deadline, when you knew that Levert, you know, he basically realized when Levert was going to be out for that amount of time, this team was going to struggle. I think that was his exact quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if that's the case, you know, and then you find out the Warren news, um, which I think was a few weeks after, 
you know, why at that trade deadline was, you know, more of a sell move not made there. Um, and, you know, he, he certainly, and this is a worry for me, I, I personally don't think the Pacers can run it back at all. Um, that's my opinion. I mean, again, he seems much more open to that idea. And really, you know, when you debate the two bigs and he says defense, that's interesting. I mean, I, I know it extends much deeper than just this one press conference, but, you know, if you are going to be a man of your word a little bit and say that, you know, we'll sacrifice a little bit offensively for better defense, you know, going Domas. Now, maybe you're going to slot rebounding into the, to, to the defensive end of the floor, which obviously it is a big part of it. Uh, but that's something I think just to keep an eye on. Um, I thought it was ludicrous that he acts like the play and is making the playoffs. So, like, come on now, <laughs> that was oh, oh that was terrible. You know, if uh, if any sort of banner is hung up in Bankers Life Fieldhouse for that, oh boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I definitely didn't love that. Um, you know, I thought he had. You know, I think it was good to hear that. You know, Doug and TJ clearly two guys. TJ McConnell, that is two guys that appreciate a playing for Bjorkren. So that's. You know, if you do bring him back for a second season, it doesn't sound like that would impact uh, too much of their free agency. Obviously, uh, they had tremendous seasons under him. But I, I did really appreciate how detailed he got with, like, what he liked about Bjorkren and what he didn't like. I wish he would have expanded a little bit more on the disconnect on the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he mentioned, like, individually in the locker room, these guys and Nate see eye to eye. But then when things get on the floor, and, and it, I guess kind of, opened up a little bit in stadium like you know night in night out roles are changing you, you have no idea you know what the injury report's going to look like and that was frustrating for for players and, and and whatnot um but he kept on coming back to the rim defense and a big wing to guard those guys and i think he thinks warren is that big wing and if he's saying rim defense i mean unless he thinks goga's ready which again you're not going to thrust goga in the starting lineup and that would be no way. I mean, that that's miles to me. So if that's the case, you know, and you do want to move a big, which again, he said all the right things about being open-minded to playing two bigs together. Um, you know, that's a little bit more domos to me than I would have originally thought. And one of the most telling comments I think Pritchard made was basically saying that he is also under evaluation. Um, so what do you think it would take for Kevin Pritchard to not be with the team after next season? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I felt like when he said that, I was like, oh, wow, that's honest. That's um, – I again, I, I appreciate that, and, and I, I do think he needs to be evaluated personally. But then I felt like over the tone of the next half hour, 40 minutes, I just got the vibe that, like, he's been reassured by Herb Simon that he's going mm-hmm. back. Yeah. And, you know, how he talked about Bjorkren, I thought, I mean, and again, this made us the politician, but it was a lot of present and future tense and just a lot of like, I mean, he felt like he was talking himself into it, which I think he does. And I think the Pacers have done of like, no, 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 we can, we can run this back. We can, we can do this, you know, as long as Nate comes to me and is honest about, you know, whatever learning and the self-reflection that he kept on saying, Um, you know, if, if you're Herb Simon and you're Herb Simon at that age, and this is the franchise that you've owned for you know, nearly four decades in your family's name, are you really going to blow it up? Um, Cause that's what, you know, firing Kevin and firing Nate would do. Um, I, I still don't think the personnel needs to be blown up by any means. I think some, some tweaks, maybe some significant tweaks. I don't know, wherever, 
whatever the word is between tweak and blown up is probably where I'm at. But um, yeah, it, it definitely sounds again. He said that at at the start, but then I felt like the tone through the rest of it was this is a guy extremely confident that he's going. Honestly, I. I'm not going to act like I know what the inner workings of the Pacers franchise, but I don't know if you would have thrown him out there if you aren't bringing him back. Yeah. Like that to me is something where it's just like, oh, the time is like, oh, yeah, we're definitely going to bring Kevin back, do the season ending presser, and then we'll figure out the coach down the road. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's all interesting. He, he left everything very open to me. That's where I was at with the KB. I felt like he didn't commit to anything. Um, some of the comments made it seem like he might be willing to bring it back, but I mean, what else is he going to say? Like, no, we got to change it. Cause to me like that probably does impact some of your trade value for some yeah, of these guys. That is a good point. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like at times, sorry to interrupt Alex, but I feel good. like at times he has been a little bit more honest with like changing personnel. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe it, like you said, I mean, clearly to acquire people, you aren't in the free agency boat, or at least you don't think you are. Um, it's got to be via trade. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that that is a good point that I probably should pay attention to more. Well, and, and too, like he's talked about staggering their minutes if they brought him back. Well, then it's like I wish somebody would have asked like a follow-up question like, well, then how does that impact Goga? Because if you want Goga to play but you want to stagger their minutes, can Goga play with these guys? Like obviously he's going to be like, oh, yeah, we think that Goga, can, you know, he's going to say that. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just saying like to me personally, when I hear him say things, he doesn't ever really say anything negative about his players. And he doesn't. He might say something negative about the season overall, but he doesn't say anything individually negative, which is completely fine. I mean, I'm not expecting him to, but you know, you're bringing up good points about the defense and stuff like that. Um, he he did mention T.J. Warren. I, I was jokingly on Twitter said 50 plus times, just because oh it, felt like, it, it felt like he, like the whole season was just completely changed because Warren wasn't out there. So with him coming up with a contract, you know, at the his contract ends at the end of next season, there's a lot of stuff going out there that he wants to be here long term. TJ Warren, I just don't know how you're able to keep him long term with an extension, bring back McDermott and McConnell, and not trade one of these starters, you know, into somebody's cap space without being over the luxury tax. Because I clearly don't think this team, as currently assembled, is worth paying the luxury tax for. You know, for a minute there, I thought T.J. Warren was Kawhi Leonard with how he was talking about him. Like, it, And, again, I, I love T.J. Warren. Like, I think he's a really yeah. nice player. But at times he was talking about him like this is a two-way all-NBA type of guy. And, I, you know, health, unfortunately, has been a big-time concern with not only him but Brogdon. And as much as there were, I think, different reasons that were in play for why Phoenix and Milwaukee felt like those two guys were expendable at that time, um, and again, two very different trades, certainly, but I think that their health, their respective health issues were a reason why they felt like they could afford to kind of part ways with those guys. Um, That's always been a little bit scary. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Brogdon has missed, I want to say it's at least 16 games in every NBA season. I mean, that's that's almost a fifth of the year. Um, and I want to say it's like an average of 24, 25 games. And Warren, I know he was super healthy last year until the bubble. Um, or I guess he even played through the bubble. But, uh, you know, he had a lot of injury history in Phoenix as well. So, you know, going back to your Goga point, I feel like when they drafted Goga, it was just 
to me, you, you cannot ride with these three bigs, all top 20 picks for longer than, frankly, I think you've, you've rolled with it long enough. Like, it's now a time to where I think you have to move um, Sabonis or Turner while they're still on. Uh, neither of them, I believe, neither of them would be in a contract year next year, if I'm not mistaken. They wouldn't. Um, yeah, Turner's, yeah, Turner's got two more years. Sabonis has three more years. Okay, so yeah, it's not like you'd be getting rid of an expiring. And then Goga at least showed you something. You know, I I still think there's a couple more steps certainly to be taken before he's like an unquestioned piece moving forward. But when you make that selection in that draft, as much as it is best player available, roster construction is a huge part of it. And that's why I kind of think in the back of my mind, we talked about Brogdon earlier, you know, if you can move one of those bigs and potentially get some sort of point guard of the future or who knows, maybe you think, that guy will be there at 13 overall. Um, who knows? I also find it interesting, and this is another thing that I'm kind of torn with always with, with, with Kevin, is I totally hear him out when he stresses we've got to be the contrarian considering the market that we're in. Like, I wholeheartedly hear him out. And that's why the Sabonis-Turner pairing has always been somewhat intriguing to me because it is going against the norm in today's NBA. But now the more that I've watched it and the more that I see your point guard and your two and your three and the limitations that you sometimes have there, that's where I'm just a little bit like, all right, I get being the contrarian, but I just don't think it's going to work out. So that's why I think you, you're just you're just at a crossroads right now where you've either got to commit to Turner and to bonus or you don't. And, I, I boy, I, I just don't know how you how you do it. You know, that's been the story for years. And when you're talking about taking that contrarian approach, it's different for a reason because it, it, right now it just hasn't been successful. Other teams are not doing that. And, you know, we're a couple years in of this pairing and it just – the Pacers have kind of hit that wall where it, it doesn't feel like this is the recipe for breaking through. And when you when Pritchard talked about staggering their minutes, I mean, Kevin, do you, is the plan mm-hmm. for either of them to come off the bench at any point? Because I don't see that. And so it it, it feels that, sure, you can continue to start them, but if you're not going to really play them together, then do you still want to push forward with that contrarian approach? Like in this market, I We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't think you can be bringing 18 million big guy off the bench. Yeah. I, I, I just don't think you're in, you're in the position to do that. And 
you know, I've, I've tried to make this clear when, when, when I talk about Turner and Sabonis, I'm probably a little bit more team, team Domas, but it is no knock on Miles as a player. I think Miles is an extremely um, important player for really a lot of the NBA and is an important guy for the Pacers. But to me, it just comes down to the point where I don't think you have the luxury to, you know, utilize both of them in the starting line. I mean, staggering the minutes, boy, there's there's no way. Because like you said, where does Goga go as well? Um, you know, is that turning into a bit of a waste of a, of a first-round pick uh, if, indeed, you decide to stagger their minutes? So, I mean, to me, some sort of off-season blueprint, and I'm very much spitballing here, so feel free to rip me if you guys want to. It is you move one of the bigs. You probably package someone else in that deal. Try and get a point guard that you can roll with. Move Brogdon off the ball. And then at 13 overall, assuming that's where you pick, you try to take best player available and you really hope that it's, you know, Tyler Hero or P.J. Washington or, you know, whoever else has been drafted in that 13 area. And that's another thing that I really want to stress is, like, drafting the NBA is extremely difficult. But at the same time, you look at the past four or five drafts and you look at 13, 14, 12, right around there, there have been some damn good players drafted there. It's true. Like really, really good players. You look at the past, again, five or six drafts, I mean, you're going to find a Donovan Mitchell. You're going to find, probably going back a little bit more, but you're going to find a Devin Booker. I mean, hell, Domas is what, 11? Yeah. Uh, you know, e even Miles. I mean, like that type of player. So, yes it's on your scouting department to obviously find those guys because right around them, you'll also find some players that are like, wait, where are they now? So it is on your scouting department to find that. But in my eyes, if you can get that sort of best player available at 13, you find a point guard. Now you're pushing Warren to the four, you know, maybe Levert is the three and, and Brogdon's the two. Again, I'm thinking a little bit, just kind of throwing stuff at the wall here, but that to me would seem to be an off season to where, all right, Nate Bjorkren maybe has a personnel to be a little bit more defensive-minded on the perimeter, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I agree with, you know, trading maybe a package of something. It's just really hard to figure out what you're going to get. And as as far as point guards go, looking across the league at available point guards, it's very slim pickings, Kevin. And, and quite frankly, there's not a lot of, like, backup point guards that I see across the league that I think, oh, I'd want them to start over a Brogdon. What I have heard, though, is that uh, there is – maybe some interest in letting Levert kind of run point and, and going that route because of how well he did when Brogdon was injured for most of the month of May and that chemistry he and Sabonis had. And I think with Sabonis, if he's still there, you can kind of run the offense through him and might not need a true point guard. But, you know, still I, I think that that's something they need to address as well. I just I just look at who they could get, and it's just it's very difficult. I think Spencer Dinwiddie in a sign-and-trade might be your best bet at that point. But, I mean, is he really that great? Maybe Lonzo Ball, but at the same time, is he really a true point guard? Um, what about that name that you threw at me a few weeks ago, Darren Fox? Yeah, I mean, but can they go out? I don't think Sacramento's going to trade him. He just I don't signed think a, they do. He's, he just signed a five-year uh, extension with Sacramento. Only way Sacramento we get him, does, does dumb stuff, so I don't they know. Do, maybe, but, you know. Maybe they would do it. Your your best bet there would you know like like Pritchard said we're not really in that boat to go out there and trade for a superstar because I can't leverage all those picks but I think this is where you could maybe package package Brogdon and Turner with a couple of picks and go out and try to get Fox like that would be my dream scenario type thing for 
possibly pulling a guy on a bad team away. But that's where I'm kind of stuck at with all this. Like, how do we make this team better? And and what deals do we make? Because quite frankly, if I'm packaging any two players on the starting lineup, it would be Turner and Brogdon. And I think that you could get something mm-hmm. back specifically. I'm going to, you know, teaser this for our last segment of the show. Uh, I am going to give a fake trade away that involves those two guys and, and get your thoughts on that, uh, Pacer fans. But at the end of the day, Kevin, I'm just – I'm sitting here thinking about all the moves they can make, and I just don't envision them trading Sabonis over Turner. But I've been wrong before, and my gut, I can never trust it. So that's that's where I'm at. But I, I do think that if you can build around Warren, Levert, and Sabonis and, and find pieces that go with that, that to me would be the ideal start for this team. Yeah, I, I think those are a lot of good points. I mean, I was pretty blunt on Friday when I was filling in for JMV. If they run it back and I had season tickets, I, I'd be thinking long and hard about renewing those. And I know that's probably a bit aggressive. Um, but to me, that'd be a major mistake because I even think, you know, if you have full personnel, if you are healthy, which that's what everyone wants to say, which is fine to say it, but you've got to be a realist. And again, it comes back to the Brogdon Warren injury history. You know, these guys, unfortunately, just haven't been extremely durable players in the NBA, not even close. I mean, that was, you know, Brogdon's issue really coming out of Virginia as well. So I I think you just have to be honest with yourself in saying that of, oh my gosh, let's say for some reason, everyone's healthy and whatever, everyone plays at least 75 games next season or whatnot. I still don't look at this team as, you know, what is this ceiling? The four seed? If you look at the Eastern Conference I right now? Say, I would say so. Definite ceiling. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's probably a lot to ask for. So that's where I just sit back and think to myself, when the Bjorkren hire was made, to me it was you cannot force this personnel down his throat because it's vastly different than what Toronto has had. Um, and I'm not even saying that from a Kawhi standpoint. I'm saying it from – you know, more of a Norman Powell or OG or Siakam, just body types, really, that play out on the wing and be interchangeable and are long like that. You know, I I, I continue to go back to when Cassius Stanley was drafted. I don't know if you guys were on the call that night, but I thought Chad Buchanan was extremely honest in saying, you know, we feel like we're a highly skilled basketball team. We feel like we have high basketball IQ. We don't feel like we're a very athletic basketball team, particularly on the wing. And I could not agree with that more. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you need to interject some of that into your roster, especially if you do want to be so aggressive on the ball and be disruptive, um, like clearly Bjorkren wanted to be this this past season. You know, I know you mentioned about running it back, and, and you're not alone. We all feel the same way, that you cannot run this team back. But then Pritchard had nothing but praise for, and I get it, for McConnell and McDermott saying they're very core to what they're doing. They have two feet in, you know, as it relates to, you know, the Pacers. However, you know, Kevin, you bring one or two of those guys back, and I think that that's pretty much it of what we're looking at for the next few years of this team locked in. Do you think they bring back either of those guys? And if so, which one? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um you know, a lot of it obviously is going to depend on what the market looks like for both of them. You got to think Brogdon's, or uh, excuse me, Doug is going to garner something pretty, pretty big. Um, mm-hmm. What do you get? Was it three for twenty-one? Is that what he got? With exactly, and he outlived that contract. I mean, I'm imagining yeah. at least twelve million a year. I, I think. Yeah. Moving forward. 
Yeah, I was going to say at least. Last episode, Fox. And, and then I took it down to 13. So it, I think it's in that 12 to 13 range at the minimum. Shoot or shoot, you need them. Yeah, you do. Um, and, again, that's probably why I would have looked at moving them at the deadline if you could have. I thought it was interesting how honest Kevin was today about the lack of um, how deep the free agency pool is this year. Uh, not very deep. And so that Doug and TJ would likely, you know, garner some pretty good markets. Obviously, with McConnell, I know Jay Michael's been really big on this. You know, he doesn't shoot it from the perimeter. Is that going to scare teams away? I mean, part of me, I just feel like if I'm building a championship team and I got stars and I'm looking just, all right, what does my second unit need? I mean, what more do you want than TJ McConnell? Like, if you can surround just two shooters with them. I mean, think about when you had Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott mostly in that second unit. Like that, that's a field day for mm-hmm. TJ McConnell. I mean, hell, he's getting 17 assist games when he's got, you know, wh- whoever around him. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm just nervous, like, those two saying, I'm about to turn 30, let's really cash in. Exactly. Now, McConnell just has, you know, just had his young child. Does that play into it? I don't think Doug has much of a family um, here in, in, in Indiana. Um, you know, maybe that – the guys, I think, are just in two different, you know, stages off the court. Uh, but that's something you have to factor in. And then maybe they look at it and say, hey, Bjorkren was great for me. Let's do this for another year or two. And then let's try and cash in one more time. Yeah. You know, when, when, when you reach 32. So a lot of that, I think, is going to depend on what their agent and what them want. I think ideally the Pacers would bring both of them back. Me personally, man, it's tough. I mean, part of me says, "Jeez, oh, you really wish Aaron Holiday would have shown you something of substance." Like this, this would be such an easier question to answer if Aaron Holiday had had given you something. But I, I, I feel much more confident, obviously, with TJ McConnell as the backup than I do Aaron Holiday. And then with Doug, I, you know, I. I love both players on my basketball team, but I also acknowledge like, do you need to leave some room to try and make something work? Um, you know, who, who I, I don't pretend to know the full mid-level exception, all that and how those things would play out. But I'll say you bring back McConnell just cause I think Doug's going to break the bank, but you could easily talk me into flipping that. You could easily talk me into honestly, both of them coming back and, and, if for some reason you said both of them walked and you were able to then have some more space to acquire somebody else, might be a little bit younger, uh, sure, I'd go that route. So that was a pretty big cop-out by me, so I apologize. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I've been asking this question, so I, it kind of goes in alignment with that, but I put a poll out on Twitter and I had Miles Turner, Nate Yorkerin, Doug McDermott, and TJ McConnell. So as I wrap this up, if you had to rank which one of those you think is most likely to be on this roster next year, Ooh. Uh, can you rank those one through four? And then after you answer that, I'll ask you one more question. <laughs> Ooh, that was that's good. Give them, give them to me one more time. Said Turner, McConnell, McDermott, and um, Bjorkman. Yeah, rank them. Who's most likely to be here and who's most likely gone? <laughs> wow, jeez, that's good. Um, okay, I will say most likely to be here is McConnell. Okay. Two is. <laughs> I'll say four is McDermott. Okay. And two is um two's Bjorkren. Oh, okay. 
I don't know. My this might be too much recency bias from me, but I, I felt like Kevin sold me a little bit more, and not like sold me and like <laughs> I agree with him necessarily, but sold me on like he is really. I mean, he doesn't want Nate Bjorken to fail. Let's be honest. Like he hired him, so yeah. clearly he, he he wants to be in on this. And then we don't even know the Simon influence financially. Yes, um, yes. You know, on this decision as well. So I'll say Bjorken too. But now I'm thinking to myself, well, didn't didn't all Pritchard say it was rim protection and a big wing? So that would be Turner. I don't know. That's tough. That's too hard for me on a Monday. Yeah. Well, I, my other question as we wrap it up here, K, uh, KB is. What percentage do you think it is that Bjorkren's back uh, as the coach next year? You know, before today, I would have said 70-30 gone, maybe even 80-20. Yeah. Um, I'm probably much closer to a coin flip afterwards. And I just – again, I think part of what Kevin was saying today was to, you know, open that door a little bit. And, you know, hey, agents, here I am. If you guys want to, uh, you know, pitch your client to me. Um, I'm, I'm open to it, which that's part of the business. Like, I don't blame Kevin at all for doing that. Uh, but I just feel like he really laid out a very specific blueprint. And if you were already done with the guy, I just don't think we would have gotten that amount of detail of like, you know, the science versus the art of coaching and the X's and O's versus the, you know, human, I don't know if human management was the right, the right phrase he used. I don't know, something along those lines yeah. he used today. So, I'll say um, I'll say fifty five forty five. He's back. Oh wow, that's really flipped for you. See, I'm I'm still leaning seventy thirty. He's gone. I'm not buying it. You're uh, not buying anything, Kevin said. Not really. Uh, yeah. For me personally, I just think K- KP does a great job of not putting people down. I don't think I've ever heard him say anything negative. He's not Larry Bird. Larry Bird would just come out and straight up tell you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I had a conversation with Bjorkren. It's over. He's not coming back. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. he uh, he had a really hit tough time. Like, if there's reports coming out and he's not denying them, that's kind of where I was just, like, drawing the line. I just – I don't want to read too much into what Pritchard said because at the end of the day, people have to come work for him. And if he throws this coach under the bus, that could impact someone he hires as well. There's always the flip side of it. And I don't think that he necessarily wants to say anything else about Bjorkren because so much has already been written negatively about him. If they do move on, I just don't know what players can, can really justify that he's the he's the right guy moving forward. I mean, the coaching staff was assembled by basically Pritchard in the front office because people didn't want to come work for him. So how are you going to fire your whole coaching staff and you know bring a new coaching staff in to try to help balance out his about his roster or who he is as a person? Like I just don't I just don't I feel like there's too many moving parts with that. When there's likable guys out there that want a head coach, I think that D'Antoni is a name that's been linked here already. He makes sense as far as player relations. I think a guy that I've wanted since last year was Chauncey Billups. He's got a great uh, repertoire with the entire NBA family, so I don't think he'd have a problem getting guys to come coach with him. So that's where I think they need to head in that direction. I Nothing against Bjorkman. I just feel like he's got his name dragged through the mud quite a bit here recently, and, and Pritchard's probably just trying to – do him a solid because one, he's good friends with Chad Buchanan, and number two, Pritchard and Nurse, Nick Nurse, are good friends, and and they don't want to just be like, oh, he's a terrible coach. Well, it'll be very polite, you know. I've got to do a better job of finding the next head coach, but we just felt like it was time to move on. It was just really overwhelming. Like it's going to be something where he takes the blame for it. You, I guarantee it. <laughs> 
Yeah, those are all really good points, and I really don't have much to counter against any of that because <laughs> I, I certainly hear you there. And, and I would say my biggest worry about running a back with Bjorkren is this, and I, I fall into this a lot with kind of the Colts and Carson Wentz right now. You know, so many people are like, hey, Colts are a, are a you know, Super Bowl team, this and that. I'm like, Carson Wentz has played nine snaps in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that, that football is different than, than the football earlier in the year. And that's the thing with Bjorkman. Like, we didn't even see playoff adversity. No. Like, we, we, didn't, we, we didn't get to that point. Yeah, there were some breaking points during the season. But we didn't get to that point where, you know, whatever. It's 2-0 in a series. It's 3-1 in a series. You know, things like that where, you know, guys and, and, and tensions are running super high. So that would be my worry of, like, does then he fall back into some? Because, I mean, as you guys have heard, I, I've certainly heard some pretty wild stories about him as a micromanager. Um and that is that is scary. And I, I have said throughout this process, if you can't fix that, then you got to you have to cut ties. Like if you feel like you can't fix that side of them, which to me that is a daunting thing to fix. As much mm-hmm. as you love the X's and O's, that is scary to try and fix. Yeah, Kevin, I just do not know how you can fix that stuff. It kind of just feels ingrained as to who he is. But when you're mentioning not being able to you know, face maybe being down, you know, two nothing in a playoff series. All we have to go off is uh, how the Pacers responded to the the first half deficit against Washington in the playing game. I'm not feeling great because it kind of <laughs> looked like they rolled over and died. Yeah, gosh, I, I keep on going back to that game and think to myself, it was a one point game at the end of the first quarter. Like <laughs> one point it? game. Who runs out? A, who runs out a five man oh. bench unit when you already have three of your bench players starting? Yeah. That I mean, that is. You know you, what I'm saying. You aren't playing until Sunday. You just played on Tuesday. I get Brogdon has got a hammy. Okay, that's an issue. What you do is this. You take your five starters, you take TJ McConnell, and you say, boys, all three of you six will be on the floor at all times. Yep. And and, and figure it out, you know? I mean, clearly Washington just said, all right, it'll be Beal or Westbrook on the court at all times. And, yeah, I don't know. That sounds a lot simpler than I'm sure it is, but that was – in addition, yeah. to, in addition to that, he made zero adjustments on how to defend Russell Westbrook. Right, right. And, I know. and to Fourth me, time around, what a great X's and O's coach is going to not make adjustments. Like, come on now, why are we going over the screen against a guy that wants to get to the rim? That that didn't make any sense to me. So, I mean, he might be a smart X's and O guy, but I'm still like, there are a lot of flaws I see in his coaching, um, his his systems, and and it's, it could be part of the roster construction, but. Still, I don't think T.J. Warren makes that big of a difference on how you play defense against somebody. I'll tell you what, if you if we, we keep going on the spot, you're going to all of a sudden talk me into now changing my changing my <laughs> line of line of thinking here. I'm just I'm trying to bring it back to reality because at the end of the day, the facts are still the facts. You know, Pritchard could say what he wants. I just I like Pritchard. You know that Pritchard's a good guy and, and yeah. he's one of the nicest people probably as a president of basketball operations, but come on, like he, you cannot, you cannot sit there and really think that he is happy with what happened this season and, and really believes in Bjork in long-term. I just, I, I, he's just higher, I guess, but I mean, this isn't like, uh, you know, Chuck Pagano and Jim Irsay, like that whole thing. It's not like they're attached at the hip. I, I feel like this is much easier to move on from, especially after all the reports that came out when they came out. And that was honestly going to be one of my last questions for Kevin. I just didn't get a chance to to get it in was saying, you know, right now as a franchise, it's seven straight years without winning a playoff series. And it's three straight years without winning a playoff game. Um, 
and I don't know, maybe he would have countered with me and said, well, you want to play in game and that, and that counts. Um, but basically you've got about two thirds of the NBA that have done that in that span. So as much as we, we sit here and then we say, you know, the Pacers have avoided being a basement dweller and all of that. They're in the bottom third of the NBA, you know, and Pritchard's been a part of the organization through those seven years, obviously a part of the organization here in the last three years at the end of the day, that's a big look in the mirror moment. If I were in his position and they brought me back for another year of like, let's bleep and go, you know, yeah. this is seven straight years of not winning a series swept a couple times, obviously a couple super competitive series in there as well. But really the big thing is probably, you know, not winning a playoff game over these last three years. That, that to me would be, um, that'd be difficult to sleep at night and think about that. And having said all that, that would probably win me to make some changes and probably need to put my ego to the side, even if that is the uh, head coaching hire that I just made. Absolutely. Well, we got to wrap things up here, KB. Where can people find you at on Twitter? And uh, do you have anything on uh, 1070, the fan that uh, our Colts listeners can check out? Yeah, KBowen 1070 on Twitter is where you can find me there. Um, I actually posted this morning. Uh, you can definitely find on the website just kind of five big questions for the Pacers to answer this offseason. So along with my Kevin Pritchard, Press a recap that is up on the site and then plenty of Colts coverage uh, per usual. So they've got kind of a mini OTA session again this week. So I'll be heading out there later this week for practice. And yeah, 107.5 The Fan for uh, all of our written content. So appreciate you boys having me on. All right. I want to thank KB so much for coming on. I want to wrap this podcast up with my man Foch here as we just look at this team overall and we're going to try to do this at least once a week, throw out a little fun fake trade, but we'll definitely have specific shows for trade targets and stuff like that. But, Fachi, did you have uh, some fun on the trade machine today? I did. I did. I tried to be realistic because, you know, every now and then I, I'm known to, you know, sprinkling a trade for Seth Curry or something, <laughs> that, you know, something that my inner fan wants that maybe the team won't do or something that the other team will not do that I just hope they will. So, yes, I, I – I want to encourage all of our single listeners out there to find someone that loves you as much as Fachi loves Seth Curry. Okay? I love him. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> die on that hill. I've been trying to bring him in Indiana for too long. <laughs> Almost happened. It would have been a four-game series against the Sixers. He would have been in Indiana for two of those games, Fach. Yeah, you were close. Yeah. <laughs> Something a little longer term than that. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll let you uh, give us your, your fake trade of the day. All right, my fake trade of the day. I'm sure it's going to come with criticism. I'm sure there's going to be some other people that are like, hmm, all right, but just hear me out here, you know? Uh, so this is a trade involving the Pacers, obviously, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And in that trade, it's going to be Andrew Wiggins and the Minnesota uh, – I'm sorry, Golden State. So <laughs> it's – What's up? I, Wait a second. It's the Pacers and Golden State? It's the Pacers and Golden State, but it's involving the Minnesota pick – and Andrew Wiggins. Okay. So you can see you can see where I got my uh, my hairs crossed. Okay. So Andrew Wiggins in the Minnesota pick, which has yet to be determined. Uh, it's top three protected, but it looks like it could fall outside of that. So Wiggins, top, uh, you know, top three protected pick for Miles Turner, Jeremy Lamb, and the thirteenth overall pick. Oh. Now here's what I'm thinking here. You know, you, you get rid of Turner because the Pacers need to break up the Turbonus duo over here. I think Turner fits. Golden State very well, and Golden State still gets to hold on to James Wiseman. They can split the minutes there. Maybe they move Wiseman if they want to. We get off Jeremy Lamb's expiring deal, and we move up in the draft. 
Now the Pacers have not picked in the top five, top six, whatever it is, since they took Rick Smith's second overall. So it's been a long time. Yeah. So I, I know some people would be very hurt to trade Miles Turner, but guys, we're getting you know a top five talent in the draft. You're getting Wiggins, who yes, he's overpaid, he is, but he got better this year. He bought in on the defensive side of things. He shot a career high from from field goal percentage standpoint. The move actually saves Golden State about a million and a half, and they obviously get off the two you know big years of Wiggins' contract. So I think at this point you're looking at a starting five of Brogdon, Lavert, Wiggins, T.J. Warren, and Sabonis. And I think that's a pretty good starting five. The contract for Wiggins is scary, but we're also talking about a draft pick that immediately becomes a contributor for the Pacers and moving forward. Yeah, and so I think the deal is more likely to happen if that pick does fall out of the top five. Exactly. Or in in like the four or five, because it is top three protected. So if it did go to Minnesota and that trade still were to go through, it would be an unprotected Minnesota pick in 2022, I believe. So that is enticing as well because you never know who could be in next year's draft. Um, I know we're not that far into it, but I'm sure there are some very quality players that could be there. And Minnesota, to me, is not a team that's going to make that jump to a, uh, a top 10 team in the Western Conference. But, you know, they seem to be heading in the right direction with uh, their new coach, new coach Chris Finch and, and, and Carl Anthony Towns. So that could be enticing, yeah. But I, I definitely think that it'd be something that the Warriors would possibly consider. I think the nice thing is then they could flip Wiseman. Exactly. If they want to and see what they can get back for him. But, yeah, I'm just not sure. I've been seeing a lot of Golden State Pacers trade thoughts out there. It makes almost too much sense to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm like, you know, like because the Boston one made so much sense last year, but then Boston had to be Boston, right? Yep. So I just, I just don't know how they, how they value their pick and whatnot. But I, I'm enticed by it. I think the, the if the Timberwolves pick falls to like five or six, I think that trade becomes more and more enticing to Golden State. The further down it goes on the draft board, the more enticing it is for them to move on from it. But I still think that there could be a guy there at five or six that really helps this Pacer team Without in the future. And the one thing that you didn't mention either is Andrew Wiggins only has two years left on that deal. Yeah. That's the same length of contract as Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert. Mm-hmm. So that summer you could have like a lot of money to re-sign LeVert, and then you'd have some bonuses last year for the next season, and then you'd have a restructured, I'm, I'm assuming, a re-signed T.J. Warren on the books as well. So you could still have those three as your main guys and then have that rookie contract there. So, I mean, it does make some sense. I'm not worried about that Wiggins contract and think that Wiggins is a bit underrated from what fans have (laughs) viewed him as with his time in Minnesota. You know what I mean? Because it's a lot of money, but I still think that he's a good basketball player. He improved. I'll give him that. I mean, for a long time, he was the same player. He definitely improved this year. And like I said, it puts that Pacers team – on a, on a similar timeline of most guys having two years left in the deal. And a guy like Wiggins, look, like, I don't think Wiggins would be really choosing the Pacers in free agency, but by getting them by trade, uh, I think it, it gives this team a good shot where they, they switched it up, they stay competitive, and I think they have a chance to hit a bit of a, a better ceiling. Like, look, defensively, of course you're going to take a hit anytime you deal Miles Turner for anyone. But if the Pacers can end up getting – the sixth overall pick here, I mean, that that could be potentially a franchise-changing guy. It really mm-hmm. could. You just you just don't know. But I'm willing to roll the dice there if, you know, things, things pan out like that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. So 
Are you ready for my fake trade that I came up with? It's uh, it's a bit of a splashy one here, so I don't really know if it would happen. I think that a lot of things would have to happen with it, but I think I think Toronto is a team that makes a lot of sense to me that could be interested in Miles Turner, and I think most people would say OG Ananobi is the guy that you would do in this trade, but I don't think they want to move on from OG Ananobi, a guy that I think regressed uh, this year, especially since Kawhi's not been there, is Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. I think he's regressed a little bit. There's been some conversations. That he, he can be kind of a hothead, I guess you could say. Um, I know that he's kind of gotten into it with Nick Nurse a few times. I don't know how uh, you know available that he is to other teams. So this is what I did. I said, let's, let's trade Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon to the Toronto Raptors for Pascal Siakam and a top five protected first round pick in 2022. This also gives the Pacers $6.1 million in cap relief by doing this. And he and, and Pascal Siakam is guaranteed for three more years at $33 million. So it is a bit of a pricey contract, but he does play the position the Pacers desperately need the most. And I think that acquiring a Pascal Siakam could help improve your defense without having to give up Sabonis. Oh, that's very intriguing. It's interesting to see how quick Toronto can really rebuild. I mean, because you obviously imagine, you know, they, they, they're going to be, I would think they'd be better next year. You know, I don't yeah. see them being one of the five worst teams. So the Pacers should be able to get that pick. Siakam's a guy that, you know, two years ago was felt like the talk of the town. I mean, yeah. he was he was a very, very, you know, good player. Still is a very good player. I just think that, just like you mentioned, regressed a bit. Um, the contract is big. It is kind of scary, but obviously so is the Wiggins one. But um, hmm, that's that's real interesting here. If you give up Turner and Brogdon, you're obviously going to be – are you going Levert at point guard? Is, is that You'd have to right now. You'd have to, right? Yeah, that's still a thing. I, but I'm not worried about that as much. I, I kind of mentioned that with KB. I'm not as worried about the point guard situation because if you do bring back McConnell, you can still play him a little bit. I think you can slide Justin yeah. Holiday in there. And it still gives you a little bit of wiggle room to maybe make another trade. You know, there's still the um, the Aaron Holiday aspect. There's still the just or the Jeremy Lamb, you know, contract you can try to get off of. And if you have that pick, maybe you can attach that pick to it and get somebody back. Like I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. You know, I don't know what the next move would be, but I think that that core four of Warren, Siakam, Sabonis, and and uh, and Lavert is a really enticing four. I know it makes us better. So I don't know if Toronto would be willing to make us better, but at the same time, you think about it with their young roster, that would give them Brogdon and Fred Van Vliet in the backcourt with Miles Turner, OG, and Anobi, and their seventh overall. I think they're slotted to pick seventh overall. I believe so. I believe so. So even if they move up or move down like a spot or whatever, I mean, they're still like top eight more than likely. So that would give them a chance to get a good player this year, whether they go out and get a Scotty Barnes type of guy that a lot of people are interested in. I just feel like the opportunities are endless there and it gives them a chance to get off that cap and they've already got a ton of cap space as well. So forfeiting six million of it for this trade might hurt a little bit but they still have the opportunity to go out and make a move. So I think that getting that type of center, putting putting Turner under Nick Nurse would be a lot of fun. Oh, definitely would. And I do think that this is a win-win situation here. I, yeah. I think that I think that Siakam has the higher ceiling out of all the players there. Right. But, but you're getting, you know, a good sure thing in, in Brogdon and Turner over there that, you know, might be able to fit that team better and kind of 
not to say rebuild them overnight, but it, I feel like it makes them more of a complete team. So hmm, I, I can't, I can't say I'd reject a deal, but Hey, if Pritchard made the deal, I'm in. I think it's exciting. I don't know if Toronto would do it. I feel like Toronto would say no more than the Pacers would. Probably. I, w- I would imagine. Yeah. So that's where I'm at that. I've got a plenty more to throw out there at you guys, but I'll save them for later in our conversations. we got a long off season ahead, but that is one of them. Um, just trying to think of teams that might be interested in both Turner and Brogdon and what we could get back and what makes sense for the roster. So that is where I'm at with that. Fachi, where can the people find us on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex golden NBA. I could be found on Twitter at underscore F a C C I. And you could find us on Instagram at Pacers talk. And at the end of the day, what do we say? Fudge? Let's go Pacers. This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.